begin reading in verse 10 of chapter 12 and carry on into chapter 13. If you'll give your diligent hearing to the reading of God's word. Hosea chapter 12, verse 10. I spoke to the prophets. It was I who multiplied visions and through the prophets gave parables. If there is iniquity in Gilead, they shall surely come to nothing. In Gilead, they sacrifice bulls, their altars, who are like stone heaps on the furrows of the field. Jacob fled to the land of Aram. There Israel served for a wife. For a wife, he guarded sheep. By a prophet, the Lord brought Israel up from Egypt. And by a prophet, he was guarded. Ephraim has given bitter provocation. So his Lord will leave his blood guilt on him and will repay him for his disgraceful deeds. When Ephraim spoke, there was trembling. He was exalted in Israel, but he incurred guilt through Baal and died. And now they sin more and more, make for themselves metal images, idols skillfully made of silver, all of them the work of craftsmen. It is said of them, those who offer human sacrifice kiss calves, Therefore they shall be like the morning mist, or like the dew that goes early away, like the chaff that swirls the threshing floor, or like the smoke from a window. But I am the Lord your God. From the land of Egypt you know no God but me, and besides me there is no Savior. It was I who knew you in the wilderness, in the land of drought. But when they grazed, they became full. They were filled, and their heart was lifted up. Therefore they forgot me. So I am to them like a lion, like a leopard. I will lurk beside the way. I will fall upon them like a bear robbed of her cubs. I will tear open their breasts, and there I will devour them like a lion, as a wild beast would rip them open. He destroys you, O Israel, for you are against me, against your helper. Where now is your king to save you in all your cities? Where are your rulers? Those of whom you said, give me a king and prince. I gave you a king in my anger, and I took him away in my wrath. Thus far, the reading of God's word. Please be seated. If you go back to the garden and the creation of man, it might, easy, it might be easy to think that man was perfect in the sense that he was in need of Nothing, that he was self-sufficient, fully capable on his own. But that is not what we see when we read the opening chapters of Genesis. We see a man that was in need, not as much need as he is now, but nevertheless in need. First of all, he needed provision. He could not grow the garden on his own, nor was that garden his own. It was given to him as a means to support him, as a means to feed him. He was to be a caretaker of it and so as to provide for himself. Likewise, Adam needed instruction. It was not blatantly obvious that he was not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He did not know that intuitively. That had to be specifically told to him. And from that, we might at least assume that there was other instructions that were given, other teaching 
as they walked in the cool of the garden, no doubt God Almighty was instructing them and teaching them. Furthermore, when they ate of that tree, that tree that was forbidden, they needed a sacrifice to be done, to be made on their behalf. They needed coverings of animal skins, plus further instruction now on the way that they were to worship God because that had been lost to them in their sinfulness. They needed an atonement for their sins so that they could be reconciled to a holy God. So in other words, we see that man, even in his innocent state, before the fall, needed God. Needed one to watch over him, needed one to take care of him, needed one to instruct him, to lead him. And obviously, as I said, that was only heightened after the fall in his sin and sinfulness. He needed greater care, greater provision, more instruction, and now as well a sacrifice for sins. In other words, man has always been in need of God, in need of an earthly representation, an earthly representative. And God has given that throughout the Old Testament, and they came in the form of a prophet and in a priest and in a king. We see that in Israel's day. We see that in Hosea's day. And yet, interestingly enough, as we read the scriptures, what we also read is that largely they rejected God's representatives, rejected the king, rejected the priests, the prophets specifically, and instead they made their own. So in a sense they recognized their need, yet in their sin and rebellion they did not look to God to fulfill that need. Rather they made their own. And it's still true today. We might think that we have become more sophisticated, more knowledgeable, more independent. No, we are still just as needy. But in that need, we have, just like those before us, have tried to fulfill that need on our own instead of looking to God. And though we have the perfect representative, of the prophet, priest, and king in the Lord Jesus Christ. In him, we have all that we need. All of our sufficiency is met. But do we look to him at all times to fulfill that need? That is truly the question that's put before us this night as we see it in two points, the Lord's provision and man's response. And second, the Lord's provision in our response. First, the Lord's provision in man's response. Throughout Israel's history, we see that God provided the prophet, the priest, and the king. That they were regents, representatives of God that demonstrated God's righteous rule over his people. Not in a way of dominance, but as has been said, as a way of need as a way of God 
providing for his own. And yet, because of the sinfulness of mankind from the very beginning, mankind has gone away, has gone on their own, trying to provide their own needs. In so doing, making their own gods, their own image, after their own fashioning. And sadly, this was the truth during Hosea's day. And we see this, how they rejected God's representatives. First, we see that God provided them with prophets. We see this in verses 10 through 13 of chapter 12. Notice in verse 10, I spoke to the prophets. It was I who multiplied visions. And through the prophets gave parables. It was the Lord who sent the prophets and sent them with his message Through God's word, they were instructed. And what is it that instruction does? What does teaching do for us? Well, one of the things that it does is it guards us. Good teaching guards us. It teaches us right from wrong. And as a result, we are not harmed. You can think of it in this way. If you're going to teach your son or grandson how to mow the lawn for the first time, you'd want to instruct them on a lawnmower and how to use a lawnmower properly and how to keep one safe while doing so. Or if with a daughter or a granddaughter, if you're wanting to teach them to sew the sewing machine, there would need to be some significant teaching that would have to take place. Why? So as to not seriously injure themselves. Now, not all teaching or lack thereof may have a physical component to it, a physical danger, but all teaching or the lack thereof has consequences, positive or negative. Teaching, especially that shapes our ideas, shapes our worldview, those especially have consequences. Worldviews have consequences. And so where is it that we are going to get our instruction? Where is it that we are going to get our ideas, our worldview? Are we going to get it from God? Are we going to get it from his word? Are we going to seek other sources? Notice here in verse 12, Jacob fled to the land of Aram. There Israel served for a wife and for a while he guarded sheep. Now, you might be wondering, why is Hosea bringing up Jacob? Remember, last week we saw that Jacob was forefront in Hosea's mind on how Jacob went astray, and yet at the end of his life, he repented and turned away from his idols and his self-sufficiency unto the Lord. And so Jacob is put forward to Israel as a model, saying, look, Yes, your father went astray, but yes, in the end, he did what was right. And so be like Jacob, not in his sin, which you already are, but in his repentance, return to God. And again, Hosea puts Jacob forward as a model. And this is the model of him going and caring for sheep. And why is it that he went to the land of Aram? Well, he did so to serve his wife. If you remember, Jacob fled and went to 
the home of, of Laban, and there he met Rachel, and he was told by Laban that he could have Rachel if he served Laban for seven years, and so Jacob served Laban faithfully for seven years, only to be tricked by Laban and not to receive Rachel, but to receive Leah. And then for Laban to say, well, if you serve for another seven years, then I will give you both. And so therefore, Jacob did, serving for another seven years, guarding the sheep. Why was it that he was willing to do this? Why was he willing to engage in this labor? Well, because of love, love for his wife. And therefore, he guarded the sheep. And so Jacob, again, is put forward as a model that out of love, he guarded the sheep. And so, too, out of love, God guards his sheep. Out of love for his bride, he provides protection, just like a shepherd would provide protection for his sheep. How is it that he provides protection for his sheep, he does so through instruction, through teaching, through providing of prophets. Again, verse 13, it says something similar. By a prophet, the Lord brought Israel up from Egypt. And by a prophet, he was guarded. The prophet here is not named, but we know that prophet to be Moses. But again, notice what Moses did. By a prophet, he was guarded. Who is the he? It is Israel. Israel was guarded. Good teaching is part of the shepherding role of the church and of leaders so as to guard and protect them. We saw this a few weeks ago in 1 Peter 5 as Peter exhorts the elders. What does he tell them? To shepherd the flock. Part of that shepherding Function is to teach and to instruct. In fact, that is one of the functions of the elder is to be apt to teach. And so, again, we see that this was provided for Israel by God. God gave them this instruction so as to guard them, so as to protect them. But did they listen? Did they heed this instruction? Were they thankful to be guarded by this shepherd prophet. No, it says very clearly that they did not listen. It says then, verse 11, if their iniquity in Gilead, they shall surely come to nothing. In Gilead, they sacrifice bulls. Their altars also are stone heaps on the furrows of the field. In other words, they are sacrificing bulls not to God, but to other gods. It goes on to say in verse 14, Ephraim has given bitter provocations through their blood guilt and through their disgraceful deeds. In other words, the instruction, the guarding, was not heeded to. It was not appreciated. You know, there's nothing that bothers me more as a dad than when my instructions are unheeded. And I have to repeat myself. And I put extra emphasis on, I said to do this. And yet that is exactly what Israel had done with the Lord. Going their own ways, consulting their own gods, other mediums. 
because obviously they thought that those gods knew better than the true God, the true shepherd of Israel. Well, it is no different today. There are many compelling voices. There are many so-called experts with a variety of instruction on what to do in any given situation or how to live or how not to live. There is everything under the sun. So what voice do we listen to? Well, again, I think this instruction would say that we are to be reminded that God protects us, guards us, shepherds us through good instruction, through good teaching, through good preaching through heeding his word, through hearing it, through multiple sources, from reliable sources that cut straight the word of God because this is a part of the need that we have, that we are sheep that tend to go astray. And therefore we need the good shepherd, the Lord Jesus Christ, by his word to keep gathering us in, to grab us, by that shepherd's crook, to pull us near unto himself again so that we do not go astray. And so God is continuing to provide a prophet, so to speak, in the instruction of his word and ultimately through the Lord Jesus Christ. Again, we see that the Lord provided not only a prophet but a priest, proper worship. Even though Hosea doesn't go exactly into how the Lord provided this. We know that he did through the book of Leviticus, how worship was laid out in painstaking detail in that book, how they were to worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. But again, we see that Israel broke from this. Really, Israel, the ten northern tribes, broke from this even from their inception as they broke away from the southern kingdom. We know that Jeroboam made two golden calves so that the people in the north no longer had to go to Jerusalem. They could worship there in the north. And Jeroboam says, you worship God through this golden calf, a clear breaking of the second commandment. He had the people led in man-made worship. And from this, we shouldn't be surprised, they further stride and entered into greater deviation and entered into more and more sinful debauchery. Notice this in verse 1 of chapter 13. It says at the end of the first verse, but he that is Ephraim or Israel incurred guilt through Baal and died. And now they sinned more and more and made for themselves metal images Idols skillfully made of their silver, all of them the work of craftsmen. It is said, those who offer human sacrifice kiss calves. Notice that, that they incurred more and more guilt through Baal and died, not physically, but spiritually. And in their deadness, continued to sin more and more by making more and more idols. And notice this, even offering human sacrifice. How could this be? How could Israel, the people of God, enter into such debaucheries because they rejected the worship of God. 
and made their own worship by their own means, by their own way. And we might think that, again, today we are more sophisticated, we are more educated. No, we are not. We may not be making literal idols that may sit on our mantles. We, nevertheless, in our culture, are an idolatrous people. We bow down at several different altars, even the altar of human sacrifice. And we've seen that even in the last couple weeks, again, with these laws that were passed in the state of New York and the law that was trying to be passed in Virginia as these little children are aborted. Why? Because they don't fit our lifestyle. They don't fit our future, don't fit our plans. Therefore, they are expendable, so easily discarded. Uh, That is taking of life, that is a human sacrifice. Those are our children. Those are our future. And we should weep with the death of all those that are aborted in the hundreds of thousands every year in this country. Or we could go on and talk about the altar that we bow at of pleasure or prestige or power, possessions. There are many gods, several idols that we make sacrifice to as we bow to the altar of this world. Why? Because our hearts are so easily led astray, so easily led into man-made worship rather than the worship of the true God. And so, once again, don't think that worship doesn't matter. No, worship absolutely matters. It's the most important function that we enter into as creatures, as created beings. May we do it well unto his glory and unto his praise, because if we don't worship well, we'll worship poorly and even sinfully and in a uh, a debaucherous manner, as this passage makes so clear to us. Well, we see prophet, we see priest. Finally, Israel was given a king. The Lord gave them what they desired because they wanted to be like the nations. In so doing, the Lord told them that they rejected him as king. And the Lord warned them. You remember, Samuel warned them that if you take a king, then the king will not only take of your money, he'll take of your sons and he'll take of your daughters. And nevertheless, the people said, we want a king. Notice it even says that in verse 10 of chapter 13. Give us, give me a king and princess. In verse 11, I gave you a king in my anger, gave you over to that which you wanted and all the consequences that came as a result. And yet, what did you get for having a king? Notice verse 10, where now is your king to save you? Where are your rulers? In other words, when they needed leaders, when they needed rulers, when they needed kings, where were those kings? Kings, in a sense, used them for their own purposes. They didn't follow through with protection or provision. Again, it's not hard to think that we experience something similar today. 
Though we have it better than most, our political system is far from perfect. And sometimes it makes you wonder, have leaders lost all sense of the reason why they are put there? Only provide what the people want if it keeps them in power. And makes you wonder who they are truly serving and who is being used in such a situation and for whose good and by what standard, what standard of truth will be used. Nevertheless, we're to pray for our leaders, we're to submit to them, but yet we see that it's not a far cry from what Israel experienced, the using and the abusing of power over them. And so three specific ways that the Lord provided and three specific ways that mankind rejected the Lord and in a sense still does. But second then, I want us to see the Lord's provision in our response. What should our response be in the midst of all this? And we see right here in the middle of this passage, we have a statement, we have a declaration in verse 4. It says, I am the Lord, your God. And notice there that Lord is capitalized in your translation, most likely, which indicates that it is the name of God. It is Yahweh. And you remember that Yahweh means I am. So literally it says, I am, I am, or I am who I am. That is our God. And I know you've heard this before, but we call our God I am because he's not I was or I will be, but he is always I am, that he is timeless, that he is enduring. He does not change because he has no need of change. Notice it says in verse 4, I am the Lord your God from the land of Egypt, the one that provided for them the one that protected them, the one that was truly a shepherd to them, that gave them all that they stood in need of. And yet, what do we read? You know no God but me, and besides me there is no Savior. You have rejected the true God, even though I was a God to you. And in so doing, you rejected your Savior. They went after serving other gods. Gods that had eyes but could not see. Had ears but could not hear. Had hands but could not serve. And they rejected their only Savior. In a sense here, I think this is a stinging indictment. When God says to them, you know no God but me, and besides me there is no Savior, that you know no true God, even though you serve many gods. You have no Savior, even though you are seeking one, because you're not seeking me. And so who is it that is going to come to your rescue? Who is going to be your refuge? Who is going to forgive your sins? Who is going to provide your atonement? We have a firm declaration of who God truly is in this statement. 
In essence, God is saying, where are your indictments against me? I have many against you. And he's laid them out and listed them here. But where are the places? Where are the times that I have not been as a God to you? When I have not saved you? When I have not been a Lord and protected you and provided for you? When is it that I have not given to you all that you stood in need of? Where is it that I have let you down? Since God is asking, saying I'm listening, where are your charges against me? Where have I failed you? Where have I not provided your needs? Surely there is a reason why you have left me and abandoned me and turned to other gods because you weren't finding what you needed in me. And therefore you provided your own. Your needs surely were not being met. Who would like to make that charge against God? Not one of us. Israel could not make that charge against God. He was faultless. He was blameless. He was holy in all of his ways and all of his deeds. There is no indictment that can be laid at the feet of our God. And that is true for us as well. What are the ways that the Lord has failed you ever? What are the ways that he has not provided for your needs? What are the ways that he has not been faithful to us as a people? We cannot name a one. In fact, even in speaking that way or even thinking that way, we must be like Job when the Lord finally confronts him. And Job says, Behold, I am of small account. What shall I answer you? I lay my hands on my mouth. I have spoken once, and I will not answer twice, but I will proceed no further. Indeed, we must lay our hands over our mouth. And so why is it that anyone ever would turn from the Lord? Why would Israel, why would we? Well, I think we see one of the reasons, at least here. It says in verse it was I who knew you in the wilderness in the land of droughts but when they had grazed they became full they were filled and their heart was lifted up therefore they forgot me that when you were in the wilderness and had nothing you needed me but when you entered into the pasture when you entered into the green land when I provided for you even in abundance instead of returning gratitude instead of returning thanks, you became self-confident and prideful and even looked to yourself and said, look at what my hands have done and you have forgot me, as it says. They forgot God. It's amazing how often the scriptures remind us to remember God. In a sense, we could say, how could we ever forget? And yet we do. And it's more than just forgetfulness, isn't it? It's not just that it slips out of our mind. In our sinfulness, we suppress the truth and unrighteousness. We become self-sufficient because we don't want to be accountable to anybody outside of ourselves. And that this passage is saying, they forgot me. 
Let us not forget the Lord. Let us place the Lord before us always. Let us remember who our God truly is. In times that are hard, where it's more easy to remember God, but as well as in times of prosperity, in times that are are good. Remember, Hosea's ministry happened during a time of Israel that was very prosperous. The people of Israel were wealthy and had an abundance, and therefore the thought came into the mind, and not only the thought, but even the statement that, well, surely nothing must be wrong because everything is good. Notice what it said. We saw this last week in chapter 11, verse 8. Ephraim has said, ah, but I am rich. I have found wealth for myself. And all my labors, they cannot find in me iniquity or sin. They became prideful in that wealth and therefore forgot the Lord. Even though things may be going well. That is not an indication of God's blessing or God's prosperity upon a land. As Paul says in Romans, God's kindness is to lead us to repentance. That we are to repent continually. And if there is no repentance, then judgment will ultimately come. And we see some of that judgment here in verses 7 And eight, I will be to them like a lion, a leopard, like a bear robbed of her cubs. I will tear, I will devour them like a lion as a wild beast would rip them open. We see God likened to a wild animal here that would do destruction. And indeed, our God is a jealous God visiting the iniquity. Yes, showing steadfast love to thousands that love him and keep his commandments, but mankind cannot continue to spur God, even though God is patient, indeed great in his patience, greater than our patience ever would be, but his patience and his mercies are not everlasting, at least according to the wicked, that they will be called to account And we, again, need to be reminded of that. And even us that may know the Lord must turn to him continually, must acknowledge who our God is and fall before him. Be reminded that the Lord provides for us and has provided for us in the hard times as well as in the good and in the prosperous ones. And we as New Covenant believers have given the the greatest picture of this. That he has provided for us. In providing himself for us. His son. Because it is in the Lord Jesus Christ that we have the perfect prophet, priest, and king. That it is Christ that executes perfectly even now all of these offices. I know these are familiar to you, but let me just remind you quickly of what the Westminster Shorter Catechism says about Christ and his offices. It says, as in prophet, he reveals to us by his word and spirit the will of God for our salvation. As a priest and his once offering up for himself a sacrifice to satisfy divine justice and to reconcile us to God and in making continual intercession for us. 
and as a king in subduing us to himself, ruling and defending us and restraining and conquering all his and our enemies. These are provided to us by the Lord even now. In fact, that is what Christ is doing for us as our Redeemer. He is functioning fully and completely in all of these offices. And so, again, where do we need to go? Where else should we turn? Mankind's needs from the very beginning are the same needs as we have now in the 21st century. And yet God has always provided. Just as he provided for Adam and Eve, he is providing for us. And we see that so perfectly fulfilled in Christ. And so it is Christ who can truly say to us this night in verse 4, I am the Lord your God. You know no God but me. And besides me, there is no Savior. Indeed, he is our God. He is our Lord. He is our Savior. We can take confidence in this, that in Christ we have a complete Savior, that we have the whole Christ for the whole of mankind. Let's go to him now in prayer and be thankful for who he is as our Lord and as our God. Indeed, as our Savior. Lord, we are grateful this night for this passage. Lord, we can become haughty and think that we would never turn from you, that we would never stray, O oh Lord, but we see that the people of God, the people of old, did so quickly. And Lord, we know that our hearts, in our heart, we are prone to wonder, Lord, we feel it, prone to leave the God we love. And so, Lord, we pray that you would continue draw us near, draw us close through the Lord Jesus Christ as the ultimate prophet, priest, and king that we would be brought near again unto you. And Lord, that you would keep us faithful to you in all of our ways. For we pray this in Christ Jesus, our Savior's name. Amen.